Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Deceptively Fast Podcast number 15. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever else uh, you might go so you can get this greatness where I'm joined by great people like Sean Pendergast every single week. Sean, how the hell are you? I'm good. You have art now for your podcast, I saw. I did. I got rid of the cat. I got picture. rid of Snowy the cat. And yeah, now it's just, new picture. Now it's just me like throwing my hair back and looking kind of like, hey, that looks like a fun guy. You know what you look like? You, you look like, you remember the... Uh, Remember the opening credits to nine oh two one oh back in the day? Yeah. Where they like they, they show like all the gang having a good time and then they cut to like one of the stars sort of turning around in a really kind of casual, smarmy way. Oh, really? You look like I, you're at the very end of your turnaround I in started, a, in I a 90210 I, credit. <laughs> I, I realized I started imagining the Friends opening scene. I guess they're all kind of similar. They're, they're, they're kind of similar, but the 902, you got to watch it on YouTube. The 90210 opening scene has a very special way that they, they sort of turn around and they wind up at the very end with kind of the head cocked to the side and a smile. What was I your feel era? Like should, I feel like you should have the 90210 font across your chest saying, Starring Seth Payne. Were you were you junior high when nine hundred two one zero came out, or were you no, high school? No, I was college. Probably it was late eighties, right? Yeah, I, I remember. I remember uh, in the early night. I graduated college in ninety one, and after I graduated college, I went back home to Connecticut, and me and two buddies rented a condo, and that's where we, you know, we all had jobs. Yeah, and we rented a, you know, like a really nice three bedroom condo, and we, you know, partied every weekend and stuff like that. But every whatever night it was on, that was back when you had the nine hundred two one zero Melrose Place double dip going on, and we were like three chicks, man. We'd like race to get home from work, mm-hmm. order pizza, and watch nine hundred two one zero in Melrose Place. That was before I think uh, men. I think that was before men admitted to watching Melrose Place. Did you kind of you probably wouldn't have admitted it to your other buddies. I didn't go into work the next day and like water cooler it about 90210 and Melrose Place, put yeah. it that way. I, I feel like the same thing happened at an earlier age with masturbation. I think that there's an age at which every guy swears that, they, or at least it used to be this way. Now I'm sure it's a lot different. But like when you were 14, you would swear, hell no, no, I don't do it. And then all of a sudden, like when you're later in high school, everybody's kind of open about it. Yeah, dude, it. we in junior high, I felt so bad for this kid in seventh grade. There was this kid named Tom Flaherty. Yeah. And he was in his basement watching like, I mean, you got to keep in mind, this is like 1982. So he's in his basement watching like scrambled Cinemax Mm -hmm. and he was doing it. He was masturbating and like three of his buddies had come over to his house and they walked around the side of the house and you have to live in the East Coast to kind of know how this works, but there's windows into the basement in each house and they look down in the window and there he is just getting after it and he had to move. He had to move. He had because to leave he was shamed as a guy that yes. did something that everybody else was already doing. They went and told everybody on on Monday, like at school, like, "Oh my God, I saw Tom Flaherty masturbating." And meanwhile, we're all like, 
we all took special precautions after that with the blinds in our basement. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like the worst in adolescent mob behavior where you just admit to it. It's different. Oh, nowadays. it's a lot different. I think well because they're everything's way more out in the open. That's what I'm saying. Like, but, I think like in, uh, but adult Baptists are like nodding their head right now, thinking like, "Yep, that's <laughs> yeah, a struggle." Tom Brady should have been ostracized <laughs> from Simsbury, Connecticut. Sure. Meanwhile, I got sp- I got spotted at a liquor store by eight other Baptists in a liquor store, and I'm the one that got shamed. What the hell? <laughs> exactly. So. Hard Knocks yeah. previews last night. <laughs> yes. Uh, Hard Knocks Cleveland. And yeah. uh, I think this is going to be a good one. I think it's going to be a really good one because the hapless Cleveland Browns are somehow changing the culture despite the fact that Hugh Jackson is back for his third year as coach. I don't quite get this. Yeah. I mean, new GM, but the same head coach. And it's funny, too, like Hard Knocks, it's. Like last night, it's like we got reintroduced to some of our favorite characters. Like, oh, here's Greg Williams again. Remember, Greg Williams is on two seasons ago, and so it's like we've uh, oh, that's with the right. Rams. Was, oh, he was with the Rams. He and was now part he's of back Jeff with... Fisher's god awful coaching staff that yep. he had assembled, and now he's part of Hugh Jackson's god awful coaching staff. It's uh, and I think we'll do this. Well, let's just go through the different position groups, okay. and we'll talk about the coaches and the the front office because okay. Greg Williams and his appearance. Even though I knew Greg Williams. Was the defensive coordinator of the Browns? I wasn't really thinking about them, and they did some good things last year. But I had forgotten that yeah, he was going to be on here again. Greg Williams pops onto the screen, and I, I thanked Jesus for it. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, more Greg Williams. I need this guy claiming, claiming to a group of men that he turned down seven job offers yeah. to take that job with the Cleveland Browns. Is there anybody in that room? Because I know there are very few people outside the room that believe it. How many non-rookies do you think actually believe that claim? Oh, very few. I need names, man. I need he, to know who those right. seven teams Were there are. even seven defensive coordinator jobs open? Yeah, they were. There were a lot of coordinator changes. But to think that like half of the openings that were available offered Greg Williams a job, there's no way in hell Greg that, Williams got that many job that offers. That doesn't even happen with really, really good defensive coordinators. That, yeah. that, I mean, that would mean that he was the choice for seven teams, I feel like it's just a mathematical uh, mathematical impossibility. So Hugh Jackson is very humanized in this one. You start off when you found out that Hard Knocks is going to be with the Cleveland Browns. My first thought was like, "Oh, there's going to be so many ripe opportunities to make fun of Hugh Jackson." Now I, it's almost an impossibility because you you learn over the last couple of weeks he's lost his brother and his mother yeah. within the course of a couple weeks. And that's one of the big themes of this show is as they follow him getting the news and then also like weirdly breaking the news to his coaches while they're watching film. Like it, it seemed almost like mid play he kind of just randomly said, "By the way, my mom dropped uh died last night." Yeah, my I'm looking at my notes for that Seth and I'm like Hugh Jackson breaks the news of his mom dying to his coaches as if their DoorDash order was late. Like that's the that's the that is the urgency level of the tidbit that he was giving them. Was like, okay, he's got his little red pointer out there, and he's pointing at his train. He goes, okay, here guy, here's Baker running that. Here's Baker running that boot to the outside. Okay, and he hits his little cowboy clicker. He goes, by the way, my mom died uh, last night. And they all like, kind of turn around. Yeah, it, it almost felt like it was something that he was saying to make sure they were all paying attention. Yeah. But it was true. <laughs> like, hey, by the way, like you'd slap something on the table. <laughs> right. You know, like I, I've heard stories of this before. Uh, I don't think they do this anymore. But I, and I'll ask you: Has this ever happened to you? Like, where just to make sure guys are paying attention, like coaches would drop like a picture of a nude chick in the right. middle of a sequence of plays. Yeah, some like guys a, will do that. Make sure guys are awake. Yeah, or whatever. Never, that ever actually too many. That, 
somebody did. I think John Pease would put in funny photos every now and okay. then. He never uh, he never went the porn route. Yeah, but um, they, that's what it felt like. It felt like it was something because they're all facing away from him. They're all facing the screen, yeah. and he's behind all of them. And that's what it felt like, like something he was just dropping in there just to see if they'd all turn around and go, holy crap. And then he breaks the news to them. They exchange 15 seconds worth of dialogue. And then he's like, okay, here's that read option play. Like, I mean, is that like how callous the whole thing is in the I don't NFL? think that's what it is. I think that... Now, he had a breakdown I, at the end right. of the show. He had a breakdown at the end of the show. And I think, for me, it was almost like a psychological case study in compartmentalization. Yes. That... All this stuff happened right at the beginning of training camp. Yet in football, there's this culture of look, look, you're the coach. You got to keep rolling. Players are the same way. You don't take a whole lot of time off for stuff like that, particularly when you're in the situation he's in. And Hugh Jackson's family understands that. You see the conversation he's having with his sister on the phone and everything. Um, but I think that I think that he was hurting, but that he also has to roll on. and He doesn't want anybody's sympathy. Yeah. So that was. The one thing that I think John Dorsey did well in this episode, because John Dorsey, I've got a feeling that John Dorsey, the GM, I'm not going to end up liking John Dorsey. He's I don't, a I don't, meathead. He's got, he talks like his jaw is too heavy for his <laughs> face. He's, uh, yeah, he's a meathead that wants to be intellectual, and he also keeps bringing in the dregs of society to this team, and yet acts somehow, uh, people are somehow surprised when the dregs of society compete, continue acting like the dregs of he society. He also wears the same thing every day in a job position where you shouldn't be wearing the same thing every day. I don't know about that, that's like kind of Steve Jobsian. Steve Jobs would oh, did say, he wear like, the same thing every he wore, day? "Yeah, so you uh, you don't you don't get decision fatigue." Okay. There's a concept that all these little decisions you have to make throughout the day fatigue yeah. you and wear on you. So one of the things you can do to avoid decision fatigue is just be as routine as possible. That includes wearing the same thing every okay, day. Okay, you know, I've interviewed Tillman Fertitta a few times uh-huh. on my national show and on the local show here. I need to ask him about that because Tillman Fertitta wears the same thing every day. He wears like a mock like, turtleneck. He wears in a, a suit. like a I don't know if it's a mock turtleneck, but it's like a, he wears like a black T-shirt underneath like a black like. Uh, it looks like kind of like a nice suede windbreaker type mm-hmm. jacket, not like a sport coat. Although he does wear a sport coat, some. But he basically wears it's like, like all a black. uniform, it's, yeah. T- yeah, t-shirt underneath a coat with black pants. I wonder if he subscribes to that. There's if that. so, that's a really good example of somebody who's been successful subscribing. To right, that. and there's it's big in Silicon Valley. So yeah. there's the decision fatigue aspect of it, and then if you go on further, like with Tillman Fertitta, I think there's that that psychological impression you make on people by having a look yeah, and kind of a brand for sure. that becomes you like that's this guy identify like I look at him almost like an icon yeah. more than a person and maybe that gives you a little bit of authority I don't know if John Dorsey's going that deep into it I've tried I'm way too lazy it takes a I'm too lazy to wear the same thing every day because you have to commit to an actual look you do and my fear is that I'm here's my fear is that I'm not gonna like doing it and then I'm gonna have a closet full of one outfit that I'm never my for me it's a fiscal decision like I don't want to invest all the money into in, one, in outfit. one outfit right to actually have nice clothes in all yeah. that one outfit I don't have the closet space either. I don't I gotta have Amy like five different our closet. things okay so the other big thing and this will morph into the wide receiver talk yeah Hugh Jackson, at the beginning of the episode, is breaking it to various people that, hey, Josh Gordon, our wayward wide receiver who's been suspended for, was it 58 games over the last four years? Over, However many- over the last, they, they, they said the stat on the show last night, it was over the over the possible 48 games that he could have played from 2015 through 2017, he's only played in five games. Right. And I think they were at the end of last year. So, for those of you that don't know, Josh Gordon, you find out, 
right before training camp this year that he's not going to be there at training camp, that he's got to take care of his health, he's got to take care of some personal issues. And you're like, all right. And the, and the Browns coaches or the Browns PR people are acting like, well, this is routine, it's not that big a deal. It was cool to watch Hugh Jackson break it to his staff and everybody knowing they're on camera. You can just tell, you can see everybody holding back and being like, Oh, there's so many questions I want to ask, but I got to wait until we yeah. like meet at the Denny's after this or something because <laughs> yes. I know we can't do it right here. But then you kind of you get to watch the sausage get made. Yeah. Like you get to watch the the PR guy, Peter Jean Baptiste, who yeah. looks more like a PR guy than any PR person I've ever seen. Like yep. he came out of central casting. Yep. Kind of figure out, okay, how are we going to spin this? Like how are we going to present this to right. to the media, which is weird because you're also being filmed <laughs> seeing how you're going to present this. I, I wonder if that's a guy who just forgot he was being filmed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He just got caught up in the moment because what that tells me is they they do that a lot with stories like this. That's what that tells me is it is that it's you know fairly routine. And the Browns of all the teams in the NFL have probably had to deal with more situations like this. I mean, hell, they were dealing with one yesterday. <laughs> right, now like Corey Coleman's replacement gets caught gets gets caught with weed in his car. Like Antonio like- Callaway, who's a, he's one of these guys that I'm talking about. He's got a history. Like yeah. he fell to the third round because he's a magnificent talent, but nobody felt like they could trust to have him on his team. And you saw a few shots in this episode of his back, like him not practicing. Yeah, and then you find out that he had gotten arrested for weed possession. Yeah, the, the sense I get, Seth, is probably like having to. You got to. I mean, you have a team that's gone one and fifteen and zero and sixteen the last two years. They've had plenty of peccadillos going on off of the field. Um, they've had constant turnover on the roster and in the front office and head coach. I feel, and I don't know how long this PR guy's been with the organization, but I feel like if you've been with that team for any amount of time over the last few years, that sitting here figuring out how we're going to go tell this story and still not be a laughingstock. <laughs> Is probably something that these guys have to do on a fairly routine basis. Right. You know, like for that dude, what was his name again? Uh, John, hold on, I wrote it down. Like, it's, it's John a mag- was part of his hyphenated last name. It's Peter Jean Baptiste. Okay, he yeah. sounds like an apostle. <laughs> he does. He does. I feel like for him, like that was just Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, Josh Gordon's not coming in. This is how we're gonna like. They have a five minute morning every or five minute <laughs> meeting every morning. Like, all right, well, this is how we're gonna spin this. Yeah. I so feel like it, it was no big deal. This is what leads me to this. So Jarvis Landry, who a month ago was touting the Cleveland Browns wide receiver room as like one of the most magnificent and talented ever to exist, yeah, gives a speech where he calls out half the guys in the room and calls them bitches. <laughs> who, by bitches. the way, like half of them were sitting there like. This is what this is what struck me about that scene, and I, and and if people watched it, the scene that you're talking about, it was a phenomenal speech. It was it was a really good speech. You know, for, as as far as players go, like for a player to get up in the middle of that and get up and do that, you could sense like like Jarvis Landry is with the Browns, and he got traded there, but he signed a long term deal. And a guy who signs a long-term deal there, and he's building a house. You know, we saw that. Like he's planning old on- house. I couldn't tell in that uh, in that development whether he has all that property or if he's like the first house in the development. I'm not sure either. I was trying to figure that out too. <laughs> he has a really nice house. We know that, and he's planning. He said it. He's. I'm planning on being here for the long haul. But like he obviously doesn't. He he's all about this culture change we talked yeah. about earlier in the podcast as well. Not really known as a leader in Miami, but now he's in a new place. No, and, and it's he's kind like- of funny. Like he because he gets up there and he starts talking. And like I feel like most of the time when a guy gets up there that's new to the team and starts talking like that, he can talk like that if he's come from like the Patriots right. or the Steelers. Like, hey man, this is how we did it in Miami when we went five and eleven last year. That said, I, what struck me about that scene wasn't Landry; 
It was that the fact that the guys who were still in the room, like who who looked, he's right. Like that room looked like it had no energy. Yeah. It was downtrodden. Guys with their hoodies on pulled over their heads. Like nobody moved. Nobody sat up. That was an alarming thing to me. And did he call them bitches? Uh, he I, I, he well, said no, you're F-bombs. acting like bitches and a few other things. Yeah, there were 33 F-bombs we had to delete out <laughs> when we played that on the radio. That's, you counted. He made one really good point, which was that, hey, when guys sit out, the rest of us have to take extra reps and right. you make us more susceptible to injury. That used to frustrate the hell out of me when guys that had minor injuries were sitting out. But then, and you know, I'm glad you picked up on this too. So everybody, including myself, are like, yeah, Jarvis Landry, way to call those guys out. You get to the end of the show where Joe Sheehan, a guy I know is uh, one of the head athletic trainers up there in Cleveland, names the guys that are going to sit out yes. in practice for preventative reasons. That They're holding these guys out of practice because of an injury history, because I don't know if they have the biometric data or whatever, but they're just doing it for preventative reasons. And then the coaches are left to talk about it, and you find out, oh, wait a second, a lot of those Browns receivers that Jarvis Landry was calling out were probably held out of practice. Like, it wasn't their decision. And for one, Todd Haley has an issue with the whole practice of holding the guys out, and he lets Hugh Jackson know about it. Hugh Jackson says, hey, I'm the boss. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Todd Haley looks like he might have had a fifth of whiskey the night before. I feel like, boy, Todd Haley's aged a lot in the last few years, by the way. It's some uh, hard living. It is. is. That's a guy who should not have a beard. As somebody whose beard, when I grow it out, grows gray, that's why I don't grow it anymore, because I look like 15 years old. Makes you look weathered. I, I used to have, when I moved back here in 2007, I had a goatee, but the whole bottom of it on my chin was gray. When I shaved that, like three years after I moved here, I looked like 10 years younger. So anyway, sidebar. But I feel like Todd Haley wishes that they still had two-a-days that started at like 6.30 in the morning. He definitely, he's the classic, like Marv Levy said, there's a lot of guys being tough with other men's bodies. Yeah. I I feel like Greg Williams, and and that's what's so interesting about that dynamic. Hugh Jackson is explaining, hey, I used to be this way, but we got to keep these guys healthy. Yeah. And you can just see... Todd Haley and Greg Williams chafing against that yeah. and trying to do the right thing and be good soldiers and not argue with the boss. Did you, and I know you didn't go to West Virginia this year, but you went last year, and I don't think Bill O'Brien has changed his MO all that drastically in a year. Um, but, and I know it's only one hour and they probably pull the parts that make for the best TV, but. I don't know that I've ever seen the Texans have an intra-squad scrimmage in the time that we've been covering them. I know they've scrimmaged other teams. You know they've mm-hmm. worked well, out against contact. other teams. A full contact one. My, I say all this to say to ask you: Did that look like a lot more intense and physical practice than anything we've seen from the Texans over the last few years? I would have to go back and watch the 2015 series because the Texans. Good point. The Texans have done full speed goal line. Yes, they have. Because sometimes on goal line, it's almost it's almost impossible to practice really well without doing full speed. It's harder to simulate yeah. because everything's so fast and, and so immediate. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch 2015 and see whether it was actually all that physical. Because yeah. I don't know. There's there's only so much you can get away with in today's NFL. And, and it may be just me coming off a week where I was there where there was one padded practice the right. entire week. Like oh. It was not a physical week of practice for the Texans. I, I said this morning, I feel bad for players and coaches now because 
Look, they don't want to. They don't want to make it sound like it's easy or anything. But people keep asking the questions about how well when you like, what's it like in the grind of camp? And these guys don't not answer the question because there's no grind. Like this isn't me being like Joe old school. No. I thought the way they used to do it was really dumb. Yeah, I thought that it was just way too much. And it's just the fact of the matter is now there's not nearly as much contact. They practice once a day. They're getting much more rest than they used to. And like the notion that somehow these guys are ground down. Players and coaches don't even try to sell that anymore. Right. The, and they just, people ask them these questions and, and they don't know how to respond to them. And I almost feel bad as somebody who covers the covers the game, covers the team, has a radio show. I almost feel bad criticizing players when there's poor tackling. Because yeah. they don't tackle anymore. They don't bring guys to the ground. They don't hit. They don't do anything. See, I, I disagree just because I think with... The focus that there is now on actually coaching tackling, yeah. I think some teams have gotten better. Um, and I think like if you look at the Seahawks when they've been good on defense, when they've been really good on defense, they're very sure tacklers. I thought the Texans up until last year Two had actually ago. been really good tacklers. Yeah, 2016, they were great. You would be amazed at how little instruction there was in actual tackling hmm. back when guys because I think a lot of coaches always assumed like, well, thud them up, and then in the game you'll you'll tackle them, and. I never got any real good instruction on tackling, like genuinely good quality instruction on tackling the entire time I played football until I was in my fourth or fifth year in the NFL. Okay. And there was a special wow. teams coach, Frank Gant Sr., who was awesome at it. And I all of a sudden went from being an average tackler to like a really good tackler. Yeah, yeah. Because he taught the technique, and it was all with bags, and it was all technique and all of that. And now you see a lot of teams, you know, the Seahawks have a tackling coach that works on these things and does these drills, and you do rugby-style tackling yeah, yeah. that you can practice without pads on. So I, it's never an excuse anymore. And right. I like when I see a coach complaining about how you can't tackle in practice, to me, I hear, wow, you're not working that hard. Yeah. Like, you're really not, you're not trying. Interesting. Like, you've just given up on trying mm-hmm. to coach these guys. And uh, same thing with offensive line. When I hear coaches bitching about how, hey, these guys come out of college, they don't have any skills. Well, that's great. You've got an opportunity then. Because yeah. if you're an actually good coach and all these guys are coming out of college and they're not as skilled as the offensive linemen used to be, yeah. that means you can have an advantage if coach you coach them, them well. Stop yep. bitching. Yep. There's Absolutely. nothing that drives me crazier than coaches who will tell their players not to bitch, and then just, they <laughs> bitch constantly. Yes. And then I, I buried the lead. We should always probably start off every show about any football-related thing as quarterbacks. Yes. Baker Mayfield, obviously, number one <laughs> overall surprise selection of the Cleveland Browns. I'm excited about Baker Mayfield. Um, you see him, they, they open up the show showing Nick Chubb, the running back, second rounder, in the airport, and he's largely anonymous. Other than the fact that there are cameras trained on him, people don't know who the hell he is. Nobody's approaching how, him. How fortuitous or serendipitous was it that he had dudes walking up to him like hey who are you right yeah <laughs> i mean i almost made me wonder if they were plants you yeah know? like it was, at it the was very almost least, too good at the very least like here's this yoked dude that yeah. cameras are on and, and people are asking it him must why. Be somebody whereas baker mayfield's walking through the airport and obviously everybody's asking him for autographs and yeah. taking selfies and everything and, and the then, funny thing is chubb like chubb is not a nobody. No, not like at Chubb all. Is, Chubb, I Chubb's mean, a big deal. He dealt with some injuries at Georgia, but he was a good player when he was healthy at Georgia. I think they picked him in the second round. Right. So he's that's a funny thing. Is like he's he's not some obscure undrafted free agent. Like he played played in the national championship game last year. I was excited to see a little bit more of Nick Chubb. I thought we were going to see some of that, and then you realize, okay, without. 
pads on much, and without a game, you're not going to see much of him at all. Yeah. Um, and I think they used him mostly just to show the difference in attention between him and Baker Mayfield. Totally. So they show Baker Mayfield. They show him interacting with Tyrod Taylor, who's the presumptive starter for at least week one. And those guys are getting along great. And then they show the RV. And and this is what I, I still I don't get how Drew Stanton who is the veteran guy in the room uh, on the Cleveland Browns. But he can't be that much older than Tyrod Taylor, I don't think. Tyrod doesn't have as many accrued seasons. But Drew Stanton's been in the league for a while. Drew Stanton is acting... Like, like he's this guy that's been an old grizzled vet in the league, and that he's been through the wars and everything. He he tells Baker Mayfield, "Hey, listen, rookie, you're gonna get an RV for us." Drew Stan doesn't have the he doesn't have the resume to demand an RV from his rookie. He doesn't. But how old do you think he is? I've I got bet, the answer. I bet he's 32. He's, he's been in the league for at least 10 years. He's hasn't 34. He? 34. He, he was a how? second round pick in 2007. That was the Jamarcus Russell Brady Quinn draft. Okay. And he's how many games has he started? Uh, I will tell you, he. Oh, I don't have how many games he started, but he, well, he's thrown twenty touchdowns and twenty four picks. That's so that not bad, gives you yeah. An idea. But he's thrown twenty touchdowns. Yeah. So anyway, he like, won a few games for the Cardinals a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. until the playoffs came around, and then it got well, and then Ryan Lindley was starting. By that then. was Lindley in the yeah. playoffs. You're right. Yeah. Um, so but you're right. Stanton, Stanton, Stanton demands an RV. Stanton was out kicking his own coverage. You know what I mean? He was out kicking his own image. But shoot, I guess you got a number one overall pick. You might as well go for it. So this RV, yeah. the, this is the this is going to be one of the stars, or he should be one of the stars of training camp, is this Brogan Roback character, I this fourth-string quarterback. I had to rewind because I missed the graphic that said he was a quarterback. Yeah. I had to rewind to see who he was. I'm like, holy crap, this is a, this is a camp body here. Oh, he's like, he's like a combination of the damn Daniel kid and every 80s coming-of-age teen movie villain. Yes. Like the bad kid and karate kid and everything. And he seems like he's got personality. He's in charge of stocking the RV, and he's got way more personality than Baker Mayfield or, or Tyrod Taylor, yes. Drew Stanton, who we barely see anything of. This, kid, this kid's got to make it through the final cuts, you know, at least up until the final cut, just so we can watch his journey. If I'm, if I'm a Browns fan, I was a little depressed at Baker Mayfield's lack of pizzazz in that first episode. Yeah. His lack of, to put it, to put it bluntly, and this played out in the scene where he had to sing... Um, am I allowed to curse on here? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I had Paul Galan on yesterday. He, he okay, stop. well, then, uh, he has no bullshit. Yeah, Baker Mayfield has no. Now his game, he's a really good improviser on the field, but I felt like when they, you know, when you you get put, you're the number one overall pick, and they stick you in front of the room, and you're a quarterback, you got to show a little personality, man, uh-huh. and you can't be singing "Country Roads Take Me Home" by John Denver, much as I like that song, and much as we admittedly played it as soon as we crossed over the West Virginia border last week. Um, you got to come up with a better song. You got to come up with a song that connects to more of the room. And and he, as far as you could tell from the way they cut it, he just kind of launched in right at the refrain. I, I'll say this: yeah, to defend you got to start with the opening lyrics. Man. When you're a rookie, you always hear these stories about guys having to get up and sing their fight songs. And this yeah. happened to me. I was the first guy they called up. For some reason, I don't know why. But, wow! Because um, uh, we had like an old grizzled vet in the defensive line meeting okay. room. That it was Jeff Logman, and I I knew my f- college fight song. I was all ready to sing that. They got up. I gave my my name. You give whatever else other embarrassing information they want to have, and then they tell you to like I'm anticipating them saying, "Hey, sing your fight song." They're like, "No." They said they said sing your fight song. So I started down my fight song, and within like three seconds. James Stewart, the running back, says, oh, hell no, hell no. Give us something different. And, like, 
when you're up in a room, like, and you're already intimidated. You're a rookie on this this group of men, like these football players, and somebody tells you to sing a song on command. Yeah, it's it's like one of the most deer in the headlight moments ever. The only thing I come up with, and this might have been, this was even worse than Country Roads. Uh, Come Monday by Jimmy Buffett. By Jimmy Buffett. I started singing Come Monday, which yeah. is an awful song. It's an awful song, but you're a, <laughs> at that point, you're a goofy rookie defensive lineman. Yeah. You know, you're probably kind of heavy. That's kind of a drinking song. You know, well, Come Monday's a little mellow. It would have been, you know, maybe uh, boat drinks or something would have been yeah. better. But, yeah. uh, but point being, he's the quarterback, man. You got to be ready for that moment. You he's got to just... be ready for the moment. I wonder, he's kind of stuck in that position, too, where he's trying to be cool and have like the right amount of confidence, but at the same time, he is a backup right now. He's a rookie. David Carr got out of singing yeah. when he got here, and I, I honestly think at least part of the problem with the Texans in the first couple years was that Chris Palmer and the staff were so concerned with propping up David Carr's ego that it it went overboard, yeah. and that David never really got the really tough love that he probably needed. And he's yeah. talked about how he didn't quite understand how hard he had to prepare. I think there was not that I wanted him to get hazed or you know give him pink bellies or anything, but I think there was maybe a little bit of that tough love and kind of yeah. knowing where you stand in the organization that you got to earn something. That Too much kid gloves, yeah, that he didn't quite get. Yeah, so he, I like yeah, I like seeing that Baker Mayfield at least got up and at sang. least he got up, at least he sang. You could see the guys in the room, at least they were focused on with the camera shaking their heads. Now, if it were me, I immediately, as I'm watching this, I'm going, dude, I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. (laughs) That's what you got to go with, because I feel like that connects across multiple uh, socio-racial age barriers. Different genres of music. It's gotten a little bit of a revival from... The uh, State Farm commercial with Trevor Ariza and Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. It's a song that's very easy to see. People love the refrain to that song. That is my go-to jukebox hijack song. Oh, really? When Amy and I go out to places that have jukeboxes you can control with your phone, I pay whatever credits I need to to cut in front of everybody to play I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys just to see the reaction in the room. And literally, I've done this, and for 50 straight times... Ultimately, half the room, you can see their heads start to bob. You feel like and it unites everybody. Comes, Tell me yeah. why. Yeah. Even, if it, even against their better instincts, yeah, even that, the guys that like don't want to like I it. I feel like, if, especially if he knew the lyrics leading up to it, because it would have gotten the guys sort of slowly into it, and people would have been anticipating the refrain. He started with the refrain. I feel like he could have even gotten away with Country Roads, Take Me Home, if he had just started with the actual lyrics to the song, because you got to build up. Well, I was refrain. wondering, though, the too. The refrain's uh, like the climax. There's a good chance here, Paul, that we'll get found out right now as, uh, as middle-aged lame dudes. Because I, I I was thinking there might be a really good chance that somebody had sampled that song recently. And that there might be a rap oh, song out there like there's that, a that has Country Roads. Take Me Home yeah. by Drake featuring Future yeah, or something yeah. like that. So I, I think there is that that possibility. Yeah. This is the reality review, so we got to hit Very Cavalry yes. uh, real quick. Very but, well, before we do, oh, okay. your grade on the first episode grade of Hard Knocks. Uh, I would say a, I would say a B plus, and I would give it an A minus. Other than that, I, uh, it's not his fault, obviously, but I, I can't quite make fun of Hugh Jackson the right. way I wanted to. That right. was one of the things I anticipated. Was you start off the episode with him jumping in Lake Erie? Yeah, I was. I had all kinds of tweets planned, and then immediately in the next episode, he's finding out his mom died. Uh, yeah, I came away liking Hugh Jackson, and I never thought that would be the case. I give it an A minus because a lot of my grade with Hard Knocks has to do with how much I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, and I'm kind of looking forward, especially because we got a guy 
a guy who got traded, which they've teased already with Corey Coleman, and a dude who got pinched for weed, which they haven't teased and yet. And they've got, oh boy, Josh Gordon coming back, um, yeah. Baker Mayfield's first snaps. I think that, I think it's going to end up being a really good one. A-. I don't know about the Browns this year. I'm a little bit nervous about them. Yeah. Very cavalier. You and I have missed a couple of, of episodes here. Yeah. But for those of you who aren't watching, and, and, and I, I'm really growing towards recommending that you not watch it other than like watch clips of Jay Cutler on YouTube. Amen. Yeah, it's a- just too Amen. much. There's too much of a gap between, I think, the stuff that women would typically like and the stuff that guys would typically like. It's not. not they haven't done the Jerry Maguire brilliance of molding those two things together. They have not. It's if anything, it's grown apart. Yeah. You know, in this last episode, it really grew apart because Cavalieri's at the Oscars. And there's Jay Cutler back home with you know four of his friends eating steaks at the kitchen table. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm gonna watch it all the way through because I'm you know you're I'm, committed to it I'm now. Pot committed. I now. like Kristen too. Even I like though I'm not entertained lot. by her, but I really I like her. I respect her. I like her a lot. I think she's a good businesswoman. I yeah. think the one thing she might be really bad at, and I said this before with you, Seth. Unfortunately, the one thing she might be really bad at is the thing that my philosophy has always been counts for eighty percent of your grade as a manager or a business owner is hiring. Yeah, I think she's. A, I think there's a good chance she's terrible at sniffing out talent for people who run her business. She's also running a retail store for the first time. I think her online stuff is going to be. Br- All she has to do though is license. Like yeah. she just needs to lend her name. Keep doing what she's doing. Yeah. Have her name out there. License the uncommon James name and let everybody. When I found out and realized. In the, uh, a couple episodes ago, that those women are handling all these administrative things, but also that the, they're the shipping department. Yeah, the web orders, yeah. Like they're handling the web orders. Like, yeah. wait a second, this She'll is not streamlined the way things. Your PR person, your web, your web development person over there. What, what is Shannon? She's the she, uh, she's like their social, she's a social media, media director. director yeah. Shouldn't also be in charge <laughs> packaging. That's the last person I would want in charge of <laughs> shipping stuff out. <laughs> they're all tied for last. So this is an actual quote. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question after I read this quote okay. to you. So Kristen Cavallari, who's going off to host the red carpet at the Oscars, right? The Oscars, um, yeah. Has this quote about what it's like leaving Jay. Yep. We've been together for so long. Honestly, it's kind of nice to have a minute to myself. Sean, how long have they been married? Like, uh, how long? Like, five years. Five years. Five years. We've five been years together so long. And it's nice to have a final a break <laughs> like, every now and then. Hey, there's a lot of runway left, babe. <laughs> every other episode I see, you're going out and socializing without him. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? So true. We've been together so long. So true. But I, she seems genuinely entertained yeah. by Jay. Uh, one of the big things that made headlines here was that Jay Cutler had read an article in GQ about how to go down on a girl. How to let's keep this clean. How to perform cunnilingus, which sounds way dirtier than. than <laughs> I was going to say, is cunnilingus an acceptable? <laughs> cunnilingus is the dirtiest sounding clinical name. Are we allowed to say that on the air? Cunnilingus? Yeah. I would imagine. I'm going to have to run that by Ryan. We're not allowed to talk about secretions or insertion. Right. Or this is just this is just uh, this is just play. a description of yeah. uh, something. So some act. So she says he apparently read some article on GQ about how to go down on a girl. It's yeah. been a game changer. Yeah. Uh, so then she then adds, yeah, like every time. So that's the quote. When I watched it. What I interpret that is like she has an orgasm every time. Me too. That, that he goes on her. So this writer says that the way he interpreted it was just so we all know the frequency with which Jay Cutler performs oral sex. That was his analysis of the 
every time. Yeah, quote. yeah. There's no way in hell that's what she meant. She no. meant every single time. Every single time she has an orgasm. Jay Cutler is now the most efficient orgasm. He is everything as a lover that he wasn't as a quarterback. He's got a QB rating of like 113, <laughs> He's got 114. An OBR rating, yeah. orgasm uh, rating, you know, of, uh, of, yeah, whatever the highest score is you can get. With no point. 158.3. Again, he's shown more commitment to this than anything he ever did while he was playing, and it's it's somewhat dismaying. I feel like he may have spent more time reading that GQ article than he did reading the Miami Dolphins playbook <laughs> in 2017. <laughs> oh, you get... I really get the sense from these episodes that, wow, he really phoned it in in Miami last year. Like, it's oh. almost even an afterthought. There are a couple times where he has to remind her that he was even in Miami last she, year. She... Seth... She called it a vacation at yeah, the end that's of the episode. Right. When she, at the end of the episode, where the two of them, Kristen and Jay, are in the kitchen, and she's running the idea by Jay of bringing her whole staff to a beach somewhere before they open the store. Great idea, by the way. Way to reward your staff before they've done anything. Um, and Jay doesn't like that idea. He said that's a money loser. But she runs this idea by him, and she goes, "Well, you were on a vacation in Miami for five months," and then he gives her the money sign, yeah, like rubbing his fingers <laughs> yeah. together. Like, Almost like he didn't realize it was an audio dude, and visual recording. Like, He's like, "I'm going to do the money sign, and then the cameras won't pick it up." It's a bad week. It's a bad week of reality TV if you're a Dolphin fan because you watched your quarterback from last year basically just say he was only there to cash in a ten million dollar check, and you're watching the only guy who probably gave a shit give a speech to the Cleveland Browns in Hard Knocks <laughs> before you're like, God. <laughs> like this is a bad week, man. A reminder of all the bad things that have happened to our team over the, the last year. The worst thing for the Dolphins that could oh, happen and Brock is Osweiler's if, on their team too. If Jarvis Landry actually ends up getting like 13, 14, 15 yards per reception, if they if he actually becomes State a downfield eight. threat somehow, right? And I, all that Miami people have been telling themselves for these last few years is like, well, that's just what he does. That's what he's limited. And it turns out that like, wait a second, Adam Gase might not be an actual genius. That would be that'd be bad for it's Miami be a bad Dolphins football team. We. Uh, We've got more stuff to talk about with that, but we'll save it. Uh, we'll save it till next okay. week. The one highlight of the show really was that Jay had a guy's night out, and I found that Jay's gay friend from Vanderbilt and his bolo tie friend wearing the flannel shirt yes. need to have their own spinoff. Those guys, <laughs> those guys had chemistry. They were funny because he they had were. like ultra masculine dude, ultra masculine dude next to Jay's gay friend, yeah. and they were like they had like a playful banter going where they were just clearly from different. It was an odd couple type. The best thing. was. The, the the gay friend trying to figure out the mechanics of how a vasectomy works. Right. Like he thought the vas deferens got like pulled through the pulled through, through the, the urethra somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And he started off the whole conversation by like kind of talking down to people like you realize they're not actually cutting your balls off. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like saying I, that to Jay who's had a vasectomy. I'm like, dude, like, I know you're gay, but you have a penis. Like you have the same anatomy that Jay has. Like, you know, this is it shouldn't be a mystery as to how the whole thing is put together. All right, man. Uh lot to look forward to in the coming week. At some point too, okay, at some point Hard Knocks will be over, and we'll talk a little bit more about football and, and pop culture and stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm sucked into this thing now. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Hi, bud. So that, of course, was Sean Pendergast. You can follow him on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast. I'm finishing this up in my own house, so that's why the echo sounds a little bit different. I want to encourage all of you that are enjoying the show to please subscribe to it on iTunes. And then also, if you feel like it, leave a five-star rating. That helps a whole lot with the rankings with my bosses. Everybody gets happy when Seth gets five-star rankings. And I'm really excited about what we've got coming up over the next few weeks as football starts to roll 
into form and we get through these preseason games, I'm going to add a few more regular guests, uh, Paul Gallant, Sean Pendergast, a few people from the world of football uh, as regular guests from the national media. So I'm really looking forward to that and helping this thing grow. We'll delve into more non-football topics as we kind of figure out what I'm doing every single day of every single week. But please, Keep listening. Give me your feedback. Uh, Seth at DeceptivelyFast.com is probably the best way to, to keep it fresh in my mind so I will see it before the podcast and take any of your tips or recommendations, ideas for guests, whatever it might be. Uh, again, subscribe on iTunes, and please, if you feel moved to, give a five-star rating and a description. That would just be absolutely awesome. I will see you all soon. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.